When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Quick fire, tries it, don't know. Long, we over. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Fletcher! It's Lucius McCulloch, saved it in! Barry Ferguson! Don't miss again! Another World Cup qualifying campaign underway. It started last night with a 2-2 draw against Austria. A fairly insipid first half turned into quite an exciting game eventually. The second was fairly end-to-end, four goals. And twice Scotland came from behind to get a point on the board after one game ahead of Sunday's trip to Israel. Just the two of us on the podcast this evening, Ben Ramage is unavailable, so it's Gordon Shiak from the Tartan Scarf and myself, Andy Barge, to have a look at what was good and what was bad last night. Gordon, you are a ray of sunshine at the worst of times for Scotland. Um, the clouds have parted a wee bit. How are you feeling? Well, I try to be. I always try to be positive, always try to be proactive. What can we do better? How can we improve? What went right? Do you know, honestly, I'm I'm waking up this morning feeling feeling really reasonably quite good about the result last night. I know I know some people can be disappointed that we didn't win. I think circumstances maybe could have been in our favour. You look at the players that Austria were missing, the game could have been there to win for sure. But had we lost it, that would have been a devastating blow to start a campaign. You know, I was looking back earlier at all of our recent qualifying campaigns and only... Only once since the Euro 2008 qualifying campaign have we actually started a campaign with a win. You know, we beat the Pharaohs for Euro 2008. It's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. And and then it was uh, it was Malta for World Cup 2018 qualifying, which became a bad result because we then went three games without a win after that. So we won't know if last night was a good result or a bad result until the group plays itself out. We haven't lost any grounds on Austria, considering they're probably going to be our closest rivals for second place in the playoff spot in the group. We've not lost any ground on them. So long as we take positivity from the game, we go to Israel, we bring back three points, and then hopefully the Faroe Islands game takes care of itself. We'll be in a very good position at the end of this, this international break. So, uh, yeah, I think overall, a draw probably a fair result. Yeah, fair result is probably a good way of putting it. We'll come to the people that impressed, maybe the people that didn't, and where we can improve in a moment. I just want to talk about the the angle that we take from this result. There are people online who are significantly unhappy 
that think it's a backward step or even worse than that, um, that don't see any progress in it at all, then there are others that have the complete opposite view. Do you understand both sides of the coin? Or are you very much on the side of the fence that, that says this is a move in the right direction? I can absolutely understand people that are very frustrated that we didn't win because, as I said, there were certainly elements of that second half last night that felt like the game was there to be won. So in that respect, yes, it does feel like a missed opportunity and maybe two points dropped. And also, I think, you know, part of wanting a successful national team is you have to drive very high standards, you know, and qualifying for World Cups is a lot harder than qualifying for European Championships just simply by the number of nations that qualify. So we do have to hold ourselves to high standards. But I think when it comes to being overly critical and overly negative and thinking that, oh, well, we've ruined the group already because we didn't win at home to Austria, we might as well, you put your effect of the saying is, well, we might as well just give up. And obviously we can't take that attitude. The players can't take that attitude. So they have to look for the positives. And frankly, from where I was sitting last night, the fact that we were playing against a team that you know ranked about 25 positions higher than us in the world rankings. They're a very serious, very competent, very decent international outfit, and they have been for a very long time. We went toe-to-toe with them. We didn't... How many times have you been at Hamden and watched us play a team that's theoretically better than us, and we've just sort of deferred to them, we've sat off them, we've given them far too much respect? I don't think we, we did that last night. We pressed them, we were aggressive. I love that. And again, just that mentality of being able to come from behind as well. I do it twice when you consider where this Scotland side was when Steve Clark took over, when something would go against them, the heads would go and we'd crumble and we'd concede two, three, four goals. So we've come a very, very long way. We're still on a road, to, on a road. we're still on a process, we're still on a journey. We're not there yet, but I see that we're going in the right direction. I think uh, in isolation, uh, a draw against Austria is, is fine. It's is, as you say, they're a, they're a good team. They're certainly a team that are more prominent and probably better than us. So I think drawing against them is, is fine, but only if we follow this draw up with a win on Sunday. If we don't take all three points on Sunday now against Israel, and as you say, hopefully the Pharaohs next week should be an afterthought, hopefully, um, then it's a good start to the group. If we draw or worse on Sunday against Israel, we are up against it. I don't think this draw means that we are chasing anyone or having to play catch up. If we lose or draw against Israel, then we are. And that's oh and that that is that's a worry to look. If it's a it's a nightmare second game. And if we if we go if we come back from Israel with a win and beat Faroe Islands, that's seven from three and it's a good start. Regardless of who your dropped points come against, seven from three games is is good. And then hopefully, and I'm going to jump a few chapters here, probably pointless even saying so, but if we then say then we beat uh, Moldova and got a point from Denmark, that would be 11 from the first half of the group. If you can then replicate that in the second half of the group, 22 points is, is pretty good going. Well, as, as we discussed on a previous podcast when I <laughs> I did my absolute nerdy statistician routine and went through every six-team group this century in UEFA qualifying, 21 points generally gets you second in the group. That's your that's your magic number. I think as well, just, just to sort of focus on this international break in itself, you also have to look at the other fixtures on Sunday. So uh, um, 
Austria take on the Faroe Islands on Sunday, you'd obviously fully expect them to win. But then next Wednesday, Austria played Denmark. So if Austria were then to beat Denmark, then you'd be potentially looking at a scenario where at the end of this, this break, us, Denmark and Austria have all dropped points and we're all equal pegging going into the, the, the rest of the campaign later in the year. So that would be a good place to be. Or if Denmark were to beat Austria, then all of a sudden Austria have only got four points from three games and we could be sitting on seven and we've got a three-point cushion already. So Provided we beat Israel. Provided we beat Israel, yes, of course. But you're right. I, I, the Israel is absolutely the most important thing. And you're right that the result last night will, will be coloured very much by what happens on Sunday. I think if I could just, if I could strip this back to the most basic layer I can come up with, I feel that when it's qualifying campaigns, if you're taking points from the teams seated above you, either by beating them or drawing with them, that's a good result. If you're dropping points to the teams seated below you, that's a very bad result. So using that metric, last night was a good result for us because their second seeds, we took a point off them, equal to equal, and for them, we're seated below them and they dropped two points to us. So I feel like that was a better result for us than it was for them. At some point, we will have to pull our result out the bag though against one of them. I think if we're going to take the next step, we look at what Ireland did against Germany, for example, a couple of years or more than a couple of years ago now, but you get my point. I think if we're yeah. going to want to put Austria and Denmark under serious pressure, we're going to... Ha- they cannot get the better of us over the two respective fixtures. We yep. will need to beat them. At, I think we'll need to beat Denmark at least once. And I think now we cannot lose to Austria away from home. Yeah, you're, you're, you're probably right. You are probably right. But, but, but uh, as I said a minute ago, qualifying for a World Cup is a lot harder than qualifying for a Euro. So the pressure is always going to be there and you do have to deliver results. You know, if you want to be successful, you want to qualify for things, you can have to win a lot more games than you don't win. So we can, we know what the expectation is for sure. Well, we were getting excited about Shea Adams. Um, he only played for gosh, what, 20 minutes, maybe something like that. Yeah. Uh, and we were certainly, well, there was certainly a, a narrative, an exciting narrative around Lyndon Dykes and he had a, unbelievable game against Serbia and, and he was good when he came into the, the squad at the tail end of last year um, he's not quite Sasha Kalidzic though um, and I think it was Tom uh, it's Tom isn't it that you did your Austrian yeah. podcast with Tom who pointed him out saying that he's in double figures for Stuttgart in the Bundesliga this season and he well the first goal was a tap in but that second his header was unbelievable um, so it's, it's just kind of Levels. I mean, we thought we'd found a, a striker, and maybe we still have in Lyndon Dykes that could take us forward. And Austria, this guy's third cap. <laughs> they, they kind of prove a what they've got in their armory. Yeah, no, I know you're right. He was. We we can't say we weren't warned for sure because, like you said, Tom Midler was full of praise about him. You know, the guy's six foot seven, but still phenomenally good on the ground with his feet. When that cross comes in for the second for the second goal, it's basically a cheat code. I don't think it really matters what Hanley or Hendry do. I mean, yeah, he managed to sort of drift in between the two of them, but even if they'd been a bit tighter, the guy's six foot seven, he's got a leap on them, and that header was unbelievable. But the real issue with that is where the cross comes from. And I, perhaps if you're being generous, that was just after Cal McGregor came on. Maybe there's just something slipped through the cracks in terms of where the defensive 
responsibilities are for closing that down, but McGregor or Robertson, someone has to be there, just has to be closing down that space quicker. Because if you stop the cross, they don't score. But as soon as that cross is, is put in, you might as well give up because no keeper saving that and no defender can stop that. You mentioned Hendry and Hanley there. People have had a lot to say about them online, positive, and I've seen a few, quite a few negative ones as well. Where do you stand in the debate on, let's start with Hendry. Yeah, I said last night, so I, I, was, I was doing a sort of Twitch live commentary thing for the game last night. So uh, during that, I, I sort of summed up by saying that I feel that when you're watching matches, often when it comes to defenders, if you actually haven't said the guy's name very often, and usually by saying, oh, for goodness sake, insert player's name, that's when you know they're having a, a game where they're doing things that you're noticing. And if you haven't said their name, it's because they're just doing things quite competently and calmly. And for me, Jack Hendry did that last night. I don't, I don't remember many instances where I was anxious about what he was doing or I was worried or I was frustrated by what he was doing. So, and, and I, I can only compare that to when Declan Gallagher came into the Scotland side. Again, his first few caps, I barely had a thing to say about him because he hadn't, done, hadn't put a foot wrong and hadn't put us under any undue pressure. So I, I, think, I think Hendry had a very impressive game for me and still so young. Yeah, um, I think it would be harsh, as we've touched on, very, very harsh to put any sort of blame on him for the second goal. I don't think anyone is yep. going to stop uh, Kalidzic from sticking that away. And if Hendry tried harder, he probably would have given away a penalty um, because he would have had to come right through the back of the striker. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he, was, he was maybe a little bit caught on his heels for the first goal. Yeah, maybe. I think so. Um, but I, again, it's. I, I don't think that I don't think we can ask much more of Marshall. I, I thought he pammed it quite well because it bounced right in front of him. Uh, maybe could have put it behind for a yeah. corner, but I'm not going to start telling David Marshall what to do. I've never been a keeper for a day in my life. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, and 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 to be fair, I, I think I think some of the worry before the game, I, I was actually maybe. Maybe a little bit surprised to actually see David Marshall start, just given the fact I don't think he'd started any of Derby County's last six games. So I was wondering how Matt Sharp is he going to be if he does play. Maybe that played into it. That that was just maybe a little bit of rustiness. Yeah, uh, Hendry maybe was a bit slow in reacting to it, but I could be proved wrong here. But in my mind, the replay, Hendry was facing like a way... And the other, the, the Austrian striker was kind of already half facing, so already gone past him. Yeah, yeah, he was he was caught on the turn. Dissipated yeah. better, and, and Henry wasn't able to react. Um, but overall, I, I think yeah, he was he, he didn't really look like he didn't belong, Jack Henry. I, I would be absolutely fine if we saw him again in, in future squads, and and we'll see if he gets a game on on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think certainly that that was kind of my only area of concern before the game was that I loved the fact that Steve Clark had only made sort of quite minor alterations to what you would think is our first choice starting 11, although to be fair, some of the positioning and roles were quite different to what we've seen before. But the fact that two out of your back three both haven't played for Scotland since 2018, I thought that was maybe an, an area of worry. I think that maybe affected Grant Hanley a bit more. I think you could see him he seemed quite eager to make his lay his mark on the match, you know, maybe to to be seen, to be seen, to be doing things and putting in tackles. And I think that led to some, especially in the first half, a couple of rash decisions where 
he was giving away fouls inside the Austrian half, which I thought was a bizarre positioning for a centre-back to be. I, just, I couldn't understand why he was there. And obviously he got booked and you're starting to worry, is he going to get himself sent off here? But to be fair, I think he settled quite well into the game and I think I thought he had a much better second half than the first half and obviously he got the goal. Hanley was the the the, the big, I, I don't want to say talking point because in my opinion it really shouldn't have been, but it did cause a stir when he was announced in the team. I, I feel like there, there is an, an unfair narrative about him now. He's having a good season down south and Clark has been trying to get him involved for a wee while and he's he's not been available for for various injury niggle, niggles. So I think that it was fine to to bring him in last night and I don't think Clark brought him in for the sake of it. Obviously Declan Gallagher's not been playing uh, domestically for Motherwell really much since the last month to six weeks. Um, and Ryan Jack's injury meant that McTominay was pushed forward. So there were two vacancies in the centre-back position. It's not like Steve Clark was lying awake at night and thought, you know what, I'm just going to shake up the defence. I'm going to tear up the plan. That yeah. got us to yeah. the Euros. Um, so Hanley's come in, and I do agree with you, he did look a bit like a bull in a china shop for the, the first wee while, but then looked pretty composed, um, which is, a, a, I think, maybe a word that's not associated with Grant Hanley too much, but I think that he did fine, scored a, a good header, got us back into the game, although we were never out of it, he, he brought us back in level terms. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, people criticising the type of player he is, I think we accept Grant Hanley for, for what he is. He's not Scott McTominay or Jack Hendry or Kevin Tierney. He's there to be... He's an old-fashioned yeah, he's stopper. There, he's there to defend, uh, to win the headers, uh, to break up the... To, to use his strength and break up the, the attacking play of the opposition and then allow Tierney and Jack Hendry last night, or whoever it is going to be on either side of him if he plays, to then go and start from the back. Yeah, yeah. although I, I completely agree with that. I mean, you, you talked about the sort of, the kind of negative narrative that's almost followed Grant Hanley in a Scotland jersey, and I agree with you. I feel like a lot of that has been quite unfair, especially when you're judging him now on caps that he had three, four years ago under Gordon Strachan, when he was playing in a back four with uh, usually with Russell Martin alongside him, neither of which are particularly pacey at all. So they would often be exposed that way. He'd usually have Andy Robertson on one side, often Alan Hutton on the right, who loved to bomb forward. So that defence would be very exposed a lot of the time. So I think he was quite unfairly, he was given quite a hard shift in those days. And I did feel that coming into this system, obviously we play with such a clear system where every player really understands their roles. Being able to play in a back three, I thought would actually suit him really well, given that maybe he wouldn't be so exposed by the lack of pace. He'd be able to, like you said, win those headers, dump the ball off to Tierney, to Hendry, and let them carry the ball out because that's what they're good at. I still feel, though, that Hanley, Han, when he plays for Scotland, Hanley is he's wearing white boxers on a third day. He, he can't win really there's he, he scored yesterday um he had some good commanding headers in the air i don't recall him being embarrassed by the austrian attackers at any point and yet still there are people saying can can you it is clear that hanley shouldn't be here he's not good enough at full time people picking apart the performance which of course fans doing that's fine but um saying that hanley was terrible 
um, and not worthy of a place in the squad. That's, and I know it's just opinions, and, I, and I've got mine, and other people have got theirs, and you've got yours, Gordon. I don't know what they've seen to arrive at the conclusion that Hanley was rubbish last night. Yeah, I, I, I struggle with that. Their minds up after one or two games, and then eventually those opinions, just, it's very hard to shift them once they've been set. So, yeah, I, I think he's been judged by what, what happened before and people just can't look at him with fresh eyes. They can't. And I, feel, I think that's very unfortunate. But but hopefully he'll... He's, he made a good start last night in terms of turning that round. Yeah, well, we'll see how he gets... You know, maybe if he has an absolute shocker against Israel and the Pharaohs and then going forward, I will be proved wrong and I'll happily admit it. But I think for the time yep. being, he's worthy of a place in the squad. And last night... He didn't do himself any harm, is, is my, my opinion. No. I think you, you shared it. Agreed. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Keen Tierney, uh, I tweeted last night that I think he's our best player. And I I don't know how much longer I can support him being played in a, a back three. I know that it suits him because he breaks forward and it allows Robertson and him to be in the team. But when Tierney found himself out on the left flank last night, on the odd occasion, he was magnificent um, and delivering and beating his man. And I want to see him there more often. Yeah, I, I understand that perspective. I mean, I really do. But from where I'm sitting, I often think that, you know, this, this whole debate about Tierney versus Robertson and who should play left back, who should, who should be on the bench or should be centre back, whatever. I think as well that having both of them there. So I noticed this time and again, the, the amount of times that Kieran Tierney would pick up the ball from deep and just start a driving run and just drive into space, into midfield and just drag the whole team up with him. Now that's phenomenal. And you're watching that, you're thinking, wow, what a great run by Kieran Tierney. But maybe what you're not looking at is the fact that oftentimes it was Andy Robertson making a run, hugging the touchline down the left wing that's keeping the fullback honest and opening up that chasm of space for Kieran Tierney to run into. You know, sometimes... For defenders, you know, oftentimes last night with Austria, they, they seem to be like doubling up on Andy Robertson. And sometimes it's the fear of what Andy Robertson can do can be almost as useful to the team as what he actually does with the ball. And I do think that that, that helped Kieran Tierney showcase what he could do so well last night. So I'm still an advocate for having both of them in the team. I'm still an advocate for playing them in the same way that they are right now. That is a good point. And I, I am not tactically minded. I don't really notice these sort of things um, as much as others and uh, when I interviewed Maloney for the podcast we had a chat about Robertson because during the podcast with Maloney I said to him that I said to, to Sean that I don't think that Robertson brings his Liverpool form to the national team and he kind of gave me a funny look and then <laughs> later on uh, we were just chatting and and he went into a bit of detail on it and the long and short of it is that every opposition team prioritises him as the one to nullify. So yep. it's very hard for him to do that. And, and you're right that um, Austria doubled up on him. Uh, and quite often, if a centre-back, I, I was told this as well, that if a centre-back for Scotland has the ball, they will do their best to cut off the passing lane to Robertson so that he can't get it in mm -hmm. the first place. Uh, and if it is heading over there, there's always someone close to him to make sure that he can't get down the wing with it. Um, and it is obviously to his detriment that the opposition focus on him so much. And it is different to Liverpool because there are probably 
God, if it's just threats all over the pitch. Players in the team that are better than him yep. that require attention. So uh, for Scotland, he's higher on the priority list for whoever we're playing, which obviously doesn't allow him to perform in the same way, and I accept that. Um, but when Tierney ends up in that end of the pitch, he seems to offer and produce more uh, on the fewer occasions that he gets up there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but but you know what I mean. The fact that the fact that Andrew Robertson can play left back and Kieran Tierney can play left back, I I would like to think that maybe they could possibly share that attacking duty a bit more. So, for example, if if it was Tierney attacking, Andy Robertson would be able to just sit in and take up that left wing back position and stay behind him, you know, and vice versa. They can cover cover for each other. Right then, uh, Scott McTominay was man of the match last night. It was good to see him back in midfield. There was one moment in the first half where he was making his way into the Austrian final third and one of the players just bounced off him uh, before he played a pass. I think it was inside to Christy or McGinn and Armstrong had the shot that, that went wide. Uh, it was it was good to see him back in midfield. You're hoping that continues as well, I assume. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure that he would have been my pick for man of the match. I mean, I'm not sure he had such an outstanding performance to be head and shoulders above the rest. But I think you're right. I think he did have a very, uh, a very assured performance um, in midfield. Certainly, um, that moment that you just described there, where it was, it was incredible. Where he just put his shoulder into the guy and he just springboarded off him. I mean, he doesn't strike you as the biggest strongest midfielder but you know if you saw the the shirtless photos that he was posting on Instagram in lockdown you'll know that he is absolutely all muscle um and I think as well from a, a technical perspective the the pass that he can play the almost sort of like the pitching wedge pass that just dinks a lofted pass through I don't know if there's anyone in the team that can do them better than McTominay because he did them time and again last night and they always land perfectly where he wants them to go well, while Ryan Jack is injured anyway, I would expect McTominay to continue in midfield uh, into the Israel game. Who is alongside him? It, it was uh, McGregor. Uh, sorry, no, not McGregor. It was McGinn against Austria. I anticipate that it might be McGregor against Israel with McGinn a bit further forward. What do you reckon? Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. I think, you know, we say, I mentioned earlier about how the the starting 11 last night was fairly similar to what we'd seen in Belgrade that become our sort of first choice 11, but the roles were quite different. And obviously McTominay being in midfield was different. McGinn playing in that deeper midfield role was different. Now I know he does that for Villa. He does it quite regularly for Aston Villa, but I just, I, I wasn't filled with massive amounts of confidence of the two of them as the sort of deeper line players. I think when the game really opened up in the second half, it was almost as if our midfield was just being completely bypassed all the time. Either we were attacking through the wings and through the fullbacks or they were attacking and they were just managing to get straight through our midfield. So I think we really missed the amount of control that Ryan Jack can can exert on a game. We did really miss him. I think you're right. I think I think McGregor will probably start on Sunday. And if it was McGregor and McTominay, I'd be I'd be pretty happy with that because it would give McGinn license to get further forward. I thought Armstrong was average you'll know that I am a massive fan of his and I bang the drum constantly about employing for Scotland and wanting him in the starting 11 
Uh, I, I don't think he did himself justice. I don't think he was terrible against Austria, but I don't think he did himself justice. I thought, I thought his first touch was poor. Uh, I don't think he was finding space at, um, with his runs as well as he can do. Uh, and yeah, he, he was trying to get forward and he was he was trying. I just don't think as much came off for him last night as it normally does, although he came close to, to putting a nice one in the bottom corner. Yeah, I agree. I, I think last night was probably a very big opportunity for Stuart Armstrong because he hasn't really had a, a guaranteed shirt in this sort of first choice starting 11 for Scotland. So the opportunity to start the game last night was very big for him. I, I would agree. I don't know that he took it to the fullest extent last night. He had some nice touches. He had one particularly good one uh, in the first half where he did a sort of Cruyff turn to sort of turn his marker and then just start getting upfield. I have to also say that the way we lined up as well was a bit of a variation on what we've done before. I don't know if that was just to specifically to counter the threat from Austria. The fact that last year, what we would see would be Lyndon Dykes as the central striker and then either Christie or Fraser sort of playing as a secondary striker, just playing off him. Whereas last night, it was very much a front three with Dykes in the middle and then Armstrong on the left and Christie on the right. So that was certainly a variation of what we've seen before. And again, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced. Uh, you, you spoke earlier, I think, in the group chat about our maybe lack of threat from open play. And I think we'll, we, will, we will develop that. I think especially once Shea Adams is fully integrated into the side and starting games, I think it'll come. But yeah, we didn't see a great deal from open play last night, which was uh, unfortunate. It's going to come to that because I think we have been fairly positive so far in this episode the open play thing is is still a concern of mine because there were goals last night. One came from a, a very deep free kick that was just launched into the box. Uh, and the second one, I'm, I'm sure, was second phase from a corner, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. But in open play, I can't remember us really carving the Austrians up all too much. I mentioned that Armstrong shot a moment ago, which just went wide in the far post. And Andy Robertson had a cross that Dykes missed by an inch or so. Don't really remember too much else from open play, uh, apart from the, the incident in the first half when the goalkeeper passed it straight to Dykes and Christie had that effort when I actually think he should have laid Armstrong off on the edge of the box. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, I, I don't know, again, as I said earlier, that I'm, this isn't a, a tactical podcast. I'm not really that way inclined to just like to talk about Scotland and and what's good and what's bad or what, what my opinions are and what your opinions are and whatnot. I wonder if having the pace of Ryan Fraser against Israel up alongside the striker would change how threatening we are. What do you reckon? Yeah, I guess, I guess it's kind of hard to know given, I mean, you'd almost have to really predict how Israel are going to play because I think if Israel want to come out and play and go toe-to-toe with us, then certainly, yes, having quicker players around Lyndon Dykes to be chasing flick-ons. And to be fair, I think Che Adams could be one of those guys because he's, he's certainly no slouch in a foot race. That would certainly be the way to go. But if Israel are going to maybe try and sit in and sit deep and hit us on the counter, then you're going to need your more kind of creative, artistic players to play little slide rule passes and little one-twos around the penalty area to create shooting chances. So it's hard to know. Um I think I'd be surprised to see Armstrong start, for example, on on Sunday. I, I, I could see 
I could see McGinn taking his shirt and playing further forward. Uh, I'm of the same opinion. I reckon that McGregor will come back into the starting lineup, uh, or McLean, one of them, and uh, McGinn will get pushed further forward. I'm not sure about the the three four three thing. I would prefer McGinn to be playing just in front of the who I assume will be McGregor, and then somebody just buzzing around the main striker. Um, I think we saw that with Fraser and Dykes. Is that right? Back in the Nations League. Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, and and I think I think part of what really worked with that, what really clicked, was because Ryan Fraser was comfortable either going down the right wing or the left wing. It gave our attack a real unpredictability, and it was very hard to defend against because the the fullbacks on the other side just did not know which way our, our attacks were going to come from. So, yeah, I think I think Ryan Fraser brings that that level of versatility for sure. With the the game's thick and fast in International Week now. Do you think that we need to make changes for the players' uh, fitness levels, or is the, is the fact that it's the Faroe Islands next Wednesday mean that we can probably play as strong a team as we can again against uh, this Sunday, and then make any necessary changes against the Faroes, like if if Clark wanted to start Shea Adams and Nisbet or whatever. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely right. You know, especially given what we said earlier about just how important this game against Israel is, that we have to win it. That you know, if we don't win on Sunday, then however many goals we win by or don't win by on Wednesday kind of becomes immaterial to a certain extent. So, I think certainly you go with the strongest team you've got. You go with the consistent team. You maybe only make incremental changes to the squad. Um, I did read in uh, Jordan Campbell's piece on The Athletic about Shea, the story about Shea Adams committing to Scotland, that Southampton felt like they, they feel a little bit negative about Stuart Armstrong playing three games in a week for Scotland because he came back with COVID last time in the last year and maybe he's not quite fit enough to, or his injury issues, he's maybe not quite ready to play three games. But with Shea Adams, they feel absolutely very confident that him coming away with Scotland can be a chance to get just more games under his belt. He's phenomenally fit and hopefully get some goal-scoring form that he can then bring back to, to Southampton. So, yeah, I think I think, I think think we will see some changes, but I'd be surprised if we see many changes going in Sunday. That's a fair, interesting point as well. Uh, I, I think that we'll see the same back three and then I don't think we'll see Tierney against the Pharaohs um, because I know that Arsenal like to protect him and he's yeah. not quite made of glass, Keaton Tierney, but he does have his issues. So yeah, I think it's probably, and I, I don't like speaking like this, I don't think it's ignorance or arrogance, but we should be able to take Keaton Tierney out the side and not have to worry too much against the Pharaohs. Um, well, I think certainly, um, so obviously I've got my my third episode of the Tartan Scarf podcast where I spoke to an expert on the Faroe Islands football. Um, that episode will be coming out on Monday. Um, he was certainly very concerned looking at the Faroe Island squad of the idea of playing three games in a week, three high-intensity games in a week. He was worried about the depth of the squad and worried about the general fitness of the squad, bearing in mind that about, about half of the Faroe squad play in the Faroe Islands and their league season only started about two weeks ago. So they're very early in their cycle. Um and just, you know, the, the fact that coming to Hamden, massive pitch, having played two games in the last week, uh, I think, look, we have to beat them going in with the confidence that we should be running over the top of them. And like you said, that's not arrogance. That's 
an acceptance of our position and the expectations on us and we have to deliver that yeah okay i think that's probably what the case is going to be try and, and well not just try our best but succeed in getting three points against israel i i am now i was happy to take a point last night but only if we follow up now with a win against israel two points after four games is poor uh, and I'm not quite a mountain, but a very hard task, especially with Austria playing the the Danes uh, coming up as well. If they pick up a win or Denmark pick up a win, they're just going to scoosh right on ahead in the group. So we could do with we could do with them drawing. Is that probably what we want? It's it's hard to say, really, isn't it? I mean, obviously, it comes back to what what we're aiming for. I mean, obviously, I've I've spoken before, feeling that our best chance of qualifying for this World Cup is winning this group because I think that going through the playoffs and playing two high-profile games, high-intensity games in a week would be a big, big challenge to get through those playoffs. So I guess if you're aiming for winning the group, then yeah, a draw is probably the result you want. But we also spoke about Austria having the playoff in their back pocket. So maybe you maybe want Denmark to win and then Austria are left with potentially only uh, four points from three games and a bit behind potentially you know five points behind Denmark at that stage so it's hard to know but like you said these are all lifts and butts but all that matters is that we win on Sunday yeah completely well we'll do the usual after Sunday's game we'll pick the bones the good ones the bad ones uh, find out where we where we stand in the group it's it's going to be nervy I don't envisage it being an enjoyable game yeah, I was, when I was watching it with my flatmate last night and just as, as the teams were walking out the tunnel, I, was, I don't know if this is weird or whatever, but I, I turned to him and I just said, this is the bit I don't enjoy, the, the actual game. I, I don't... <laughs> watching, watching the game unfold, I just want I want to, it to be over and know that we've won. I, I, the the tension in these sort of games is is uh, not an enjoyable feeling. So if this Israel game this Sunday is as cagey as and close as they have been over the past 18 months or so, then it's it could be a slow death. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the main thing is, look, we, we have been very well warned about the strengths that Israel have. But I think the most important thing, the thing that the trap that I'm, I'm so keen that we don't fall into is that we don't need to build these guys up. You know, we don't need to turn them into a team that they're not. You know, they are a decent side. They've got some good players. They've got a couple of standouts, but they're ranked where they are for a reason. They've not qualified for tournaments for so long for a reason. And if we have ambitions of qualifying, we have to just go there and professionally do the job. I mean, I, with that in mind, you know, I, I watched the post-match interview on the Scottish FA channel with, uh, with Scott McTominay and just his attitude of, we know we came from behind tonight. We did it twice. That's the that's the confidence we have in the team. That's the the drive that we have to get back. And now we take the confidence to Sunday to, that we can go and dominate Israel. I mean, that's the kind of attitude that you want to hear from Scotland players. That it's not about oh crap, are we going to do it? And oh, what if we drop points? It's no, we're going with confidence. We travel with confidence. And yeah, I, look. I, I would love to think that this is a this is a new era for the Scotland team. I'd love to think that this is a different thing that we are. Uh, we've got a different attitude, and you know, if if there's a couple of things from last night's game that almost made it seem like this wasn't real life, that we're living in some 
Matrix Truman Show style simulation. I mean, Stephen O'Donnell skinning David Alaba when you consider the career achievements of both players. And then John McGinn scoring an overhead kick. I mean, is this real life? <laughs> I honestly don't know. What, what, are, what are we living in right now? But I'm excited. It's good. I don't even think we've really touched on McGinn's goal, have we? I can't remember. Um, what a no, we haven't. We actually haven't. <laughs> I, uh, I was trying to think last night as well. What what Scotland goals will we have seen that are that are better than that? It, it was it was a an unfashionable overhead kick. I think it was Richard Winton I saw with a funny tweet saying that it was uh, an extremely Scottish overhead kick, like a Wayne tumbling off the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, I did see friends of mine in the group chat talking about being able to feel the earth tremors from where they were watching the game when <laughs> McGinn's gluteus maximus crash landed into the Hamden turf <laughs> but uh but look fantastic I mean the the ingenuity to go for it and then to be fair the the good grace after the game for saying he was just glad he didn't, didn't break his neck when yeah. he attempted it so well, um yeah it was it, it was interesting to hear in the, in the post-match as well that he, he attempted it just because he thought I'm offside I might as well what happens I so yeah, yeah, and I did. I did also yeah. think he was offside. I'm sure you did too. And, but when the replay yeah. clearly showed that he was he was level, so yeah, yeah, right. I, th- I think I think as well. I, th- I think the only the regret you take out of that game is that had fans been in the stadium last night to see John McGinn score an overhead kick with five minutes to go, I mean the atmosphere would have been yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Leaving Hamden for sure. I know we need to be fair as well. The ref throughout the game was poor. I thought. And I do think we were denied a stonewall penalty. Christie was literally manhandled to the ground when he was about to try and yes. get But it did balance out, didn't it? Because their disallowed goal was very soft. Yeah, I didn't. I honestly didn't see anything wrong with that disallowed goal at all. Um, and when it came to the Christie penalty, I mean, I think I've seen softer tackles in the Six Nations over recent weekends. <laughs> I, I do I do agree. I, I was very much of the opinion that, that they even themselves out, and I made that point on Twitter last night because, frankly, I've said before, I, I can't stand people who just want to blame the referee because, again, it's an abdication of responsibility. And if, you've, if you're trying to boil down 90 minutes of football into one refereeing decision, frankly, you've not done enough to deserve to win the game. But having said that, the only thing that maybe changed my mind on that is that someone pointed out that this Christie penalty, if it's denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity, would have been a red card. And yeah, maybe that changes the game. So maybe they didn't quite even themselves out, but I guess, as we said at the start, draws a fair result. Yeah, totally. Well, we'll do this again after the Israel game. All right? Yes, pleasure. Sports Social Podcast Network.